The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 868. Oh, wait, no, 868. Got it backwards. From Monday, April 26th, 2021. <laughs> Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We answer your questions. We share your cool stuff found. We share your tips. The goal is for each and every one of us to learn no less than five new things each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Linode.com slash MGG, Otherworld Computing, MaxSales.com with their Envoy Pro FX. It's interesting. I had that actually listed as cool stuff found for today, which is, you know, because it is. But uh, so we'll talk about it. Uh, Upstart.com slash MGG to help you with those uh, high interest, never ending uh, debt problems. And then Skosh uh, at Skosh.com where code MGG20 gets you 20% off. Uh, purchases for just the next couple of weeks. So we'll talk more in depth about each of those in a little bit. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, as far as I'm aware, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. Hey, man. So uh, I ordered some air tags on Friday. I was I woke up I did, Thursday night up really late, uh, which is when I like do the bulk of my part of our MGG prep for the week. And uh, and then. Woke up about 8.30, which is sort of late for me, but not really. I would have liked to have slept until maybe 9.30. And uh, woke up at like 8.30 Eastern time and looked at my phone to see what time it was. And I got a text from Charlotte that there was like a weird problem with the website. And I was like, oh, crap. Well, I'm definitely not getting back to sleep now. So I went and dealt with the problem and then was like heads down with this thing that we got from Google about a, another problem completely unrelated. But, you know, got to appease Google. And then I raced off to my chiropractor. And when I got back at like 11.30... I was like, oh, crap, I didn't order AirTags because I saw like on Facebook, somebody posted their order thing. So I ordered them and I ordered a four pack and got lucky because um, I was able to get in like I don't mind don't arrive on the 30th. They arrive on May 3rd. So not too bad for, you know, snoozing. Did, did you order some AirTags, John? Yes, I did. Um. It's kind of a weird experience. Um, I'll just describe what happened here. Wait, wait, so, I, just, yeah, I, I want to hear your pack. experience, but when when do yours arrive? Do you get yours on the 30th? Oh, uh, I can check. Yeah, I think the 30th is when they're coming. Okay, so you got you got your order in before me. Did you order a four-pack? Yes. Cool. Awesome. All right, yeah, same. Yeah, four-pack of them. Get things rolling. That's good. Yeah, That's see. good. Apple Store... Well, you can look it up Apple later. Store it's fine. Orders. Or you'll look at them now. Yeah, it was, um, I am, I am, and we'll talk about this. I want to hear your story, but I am eager to get rid of my tile. Um, I've got more to share about that here in a minute. So did you, did you find your, your delivery date there, John? Uh, May 3rd to May 5th. Okay. So you're on the same schedule as me. Okay. So that's good. So yeah, yeah talk about your order there, John. Well, here's the weird thing that happened when I ordered them. So I had a $130 
uh, Apple gift card. Uh, I got that in exchange for the last thing I traded in with Apple, which I think was my old iPad. So, okay. um, and so one option is, you know, you can apply a gift card to the purchase. Um, and I'm like, okay, so I did that. And it's like, okay, there's enough on here. The, the, yeah, it was $130. Sure. And the order came to like 105 or something. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Um, then later, I think the next day, I was like, you know what? Let me apply the remainder of that gift card to my Apple ID because yeah, why not? Uh, I buy stuff, mostly Pokemon Go stuff. <laughs> um, and so I entered the code manually. And uh, it's like, yep, just applied 130 bucks to your account. And I'm like, uh-oh. Uh-oh <laughs> <laughs> uh is right. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, the thing is, uh, and so I, I called their main number and, you know, I got somebody and they, they right away solved it. Um, they don't put, they didn't put a hold on the amount um, on my balance. I thought they would. Oh, but they, they haven't shipped. So they didn't charge you for them yet. Yes. And I think that's justification is that legally you're not allowed to charge whatever until you ship an item. I think, right. I think it's a legal thing yeah i think it's an ftc thing i, I think you're there's something about that that that, that rings true yeah all right mm -hmm. I, yeah it makes sense but i was like oh man what are we gonna do and she's like i can change your form of payment to your apple id and i'm like perfect okay that that'll work so they'll deduct it from my apple id but then what i did but she's like i gotta sync up with you on your apple id so she's like all right um Give me your Apple ID. And then when you log in to the like Apple ID page, there's little she's like, and now read me the pin. And I'm like, what pin? And so I go, I log into my Apple ID. And on the bottom of the page, it says generate a pin. I guess that's to make sure that I'm not faking them out. Well, that's a way of getting you it, to authenticate yourself and log in without you giving yes. them your password. Right. Like that's a really smart. Exactly. I like that. Ah, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then it changed. And then I got an email saying, okay, we've changed your form of payment to your Apple ID balance. Got it. Got so. It. Cool. Well, I am eager, eager, eager to get rid of Tile, John, because, man, like, like so I, I, I mentioned in, I think in the last episode, how uh, Tile was using so much of my battery life. Uh, I, I started looking at this and then actually we had listener Kenny uh, who shared some screenshots with us that I posted on Facebook and tile in the background for him and very similar for me is using like, you know, 45. He 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 found it was using 45 percent of his battery uh, over a given period of time, you know, day or whatever. Uh, and now he says it's up to 75 percent. If I look at settings, general battery or set, sorry, settings, battery, not general settings, battery at the last 24 hours. You know, I'm seeing that the tile is using if I tap show activity, tile has used four hours and 22 minutes of background activity on my phone, which is quite frankly, insane. Uh it, it's that's hmm. not so yeah it shouldn't be doing that so and i can look at any given hour because you can sort of drill into the hours and see that tile is the thing that's using you know usually the most background and and so i'm eager to get rid of that um and i want to talk about that uh in a second here about how i'm going to do that but i'm not entirely convinced that this is all tiles fault in that 
I would assume Tile has engineered this as best they can within the limitations that they must work. And they they are a third party app, so they they can leverage, you know, background updates, but they they can't do all of the efficient things that they could in theory if they had just unfettered access to the operating system. And I think that's what Apple's in the last show. I couldn't think of it. It's their find my uh, frameworks or, or uh, APIs. I think that's what those are for. And potentially I suppose tile could leverage those, but I think as I understand it, tile would need new hardware that identified itself as part of the find my framework. So I don't think all the existing tiles out there would work. I think so now, John, uh, well, have you, it, what is, what is tile like you, cause you're a tile user. Have you been, what is your battery usage on tile say? Um, I just looked yeah. recently and it's at 1%. So how many hours in the background is it using <clears throat> one hour? Okay. That's, I mean, that's still a lot. Like, why is it using over an hour in the background? That's crazy. One out of, out of 24, right? Get, that, that's too much. It's not so. I mean, is it because, I mean, is your tile always in range of your phone? Yes. Three of them are. And so are probably another two or three for my, the tiles that my various family members have. Okay. So, well, that could be it because a lot of times, yeah, when I get home, I mean, when I'm, you know, out and about, you know, in my car, I have my keys with me. Yeah. Uh, I also have my phone with me. But when I get home, that's not always the case. Right. So maybe that's. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Yeah. You might be right. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. So now the question, John, is how mm -hmm. to delete because the tile app is on my phone. So I, I am deleting it now. But the problem is I don't keep it on my home screen. I have no reason to, if I want to launch it, I search for it and I go. So mm -hmm. from my app library, how do I delete this? Uh, how do I delete an app from the app library? And there's actually two ways to do it as answered by uh, folks in our pre-show here at live.macgeekgab.com. So the first is to go to the app library and search for the app and then press long press on the app and you'll get a, uh, a little screen that says, you know, delete app. And so you can delete it right from there. Or as uh, another listener, Brian Rowe mentioned, and I'm looking for his thing, right? So you go to settings, you go to general, you go to iPhone storage, and that'll take a minute to sort of enumerate everything. And if you can find the app in there, uh, just tap it and you can choose delete app. But, uh, the apps here are organized by the amount of storage used most at the top. So trying to figure out where any given app might find might fall on that list is a little bit uh, cumbersome. Thankfully, in the upper right, there is a search box. So if you search or if I search for tile there, then I can go and uh, and I can go and delete the app from there. So that's what I'm going to do is I am going to choose delete app and tile is now gone. The good news is if I need to find any of my devices, uh, I can just reinstall the tile app and uh, I should be good to go. So, but I'm not going to be donating my battery life to participate in that particular network anymore. And I'm i uh, I'm a better man for it, I think. So or at least my phone, my battery life is better for it. So I'm eager. Now, I don't know what I'm going to do for, <laughs> I thought of this after I ordered them. Yeah. Um, how am I going to attach it to my keychain? I probably should have ordered a keychain. 
Yeah. yeah. It, that's the thing about, well, you wait, would it be bad to just drill straight through the battery? Uh, you know, a little hole to put a, to put a loop on there, John. Oh yeah. No, that, that, that should be okay. No, I don't think that's okay at all. Uh, <laughs> Uh, make sure to do it with a, you know, a, a drill bit that's going to get nice and hot. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I have a hard time letting myself pay the Apple premium for the, you know, the little cases that they want to sell me for 35 bucks or whatever those are. Right. Cause I think that's how much they are. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, I think it's, you know, um, they're not inexpensive. There might be some for 15, but I am looking for, um, uh, where are AirTags here on Apple's website? Uh, they don't seem to have them. So weird. Why can't I just go to the store? Uh, the um, why why can't I find these on Apple's website? This is bizarre. Like, shouldn't there be a way to just get to the store right from Apple's website and buy things? Shop online. Ah, there we go. Okay, yes. So if I go and shop online, I will find the thing. But I just have a I just have a problem uh, doing that and paying for the Apple tax on AirTags. So uh, I'm hoping, and I haven't looked yet on Amazon to see if anybody sells like key rings for AirTags, or or I don't even need a key ring. I just need like. Something with a like the Belkin actually thing that that Apple has the Belkin secure holder with a little oh, key ring. Yeah, it's thirteen bucks. Yeah. So that's that's not so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm guessing that if we looked on Amazon, we would find um, we would probably find things that are even uh, less expensive. <laughs> so maybe maybe that's our maybe that's our answer. I don't know. Oh, man. and look at these AirTag Hermes. Oh, Hermes? yeah. There's yeah. Accent over the E. Correct. Uh, dude, that costs more than the tag. <laughs> A lot more than the tag. Two ninety nine, three forty nine, or four forty nine. Okay. I don't need. <laughs> yeah, I don't need a holder that's that expensive. So the, the $449 one is a luggage tag, John. Uh, Oh, all right. A luggage tag. Now, presumably, you put this on your luggage. You might even give it to baggage claims. So now, you've got a thing that's that costs more than your suitcase. Most like, well, maybe not. Maybe if you're buying a four hundred fifty dollars luggage tag, your suitcase costs more than that. Costs more than my suitcase, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's going to get banged around inside a baggage claim. I don't that that I don't. Um, I'm not sure I'm in on that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm with you, my friend. But uh, yeah. Craziness, crazy, crazy. Let's let's while we're here, let's take. Oh, I I don't know what's up with Safari on my. This this shows a bit of a jam session, folks. Safari on the machine in the studio here. It will constantly uh, restart. Like it'll tell you this page is using too much memory. I needed to refresh it, but I'm not sure why that is. But. Uh, if I look here on Amazon, John, I can get a five piece set of AirTags leather protective sleeves for 20 bucks. So there you go. That's how we're going to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. I'll put a link to, to this in the show notes. This is how we're going to how we're going to make it work. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's good. All right. Five piece AirTags set for 20 bucks boom there it is uh-huh all right um you know um 
I mentioned that I was going to talk about this cool stuff found I, and I want to do it. So I, it, 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 instead of spending your money on uh, five, 500 bucks or 450 bucks on the Hermes stuff, we've got some sponsors that where you could actually make that money go a lot further. So I would like to take a second and talk about our first couple sponsors here. If that's okay with you, John, please do. All right. First up is Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com. Look, that new iPad Pro has Thunderbolt. We just talked about that. Well, OWC has a lot of Thunderbolt stuff. That new Envoy Pro FX, I had the chance to test one of these things out. Man, so first of all, they call it the fastest, most compatible drive ever, and they're right. It's both Thunderbolt and USB, so you could use it for either but of course when you plug it into one of the new ipad pros it goes thunderbolt and i was getting you know they say 2800 megabytes per second and i totally got that plug not plugged into an ipad pro because i don't have one of the new ones yet but plugged into you know my macbook air that definitely was getting those kind of speeds with reads and writes really fast and it's plug and play drop proof three-year warranty and waterproof as well it's like, it's amazing what they've done with this thing. IP67, it's it's really fantastic and it will work t- totally fine with your new iPad Pro. So you've got to go check it out. Go to maxsales.com. That's where you're going to find this stuff. That's where you're going to find them. And our thanks to Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com for sponsoring this episode. You're going to need a server for something. You're going to do some development work. You're going to want to set up a web server, you want something that's not like inside your house or office. You want something that's managed by people that know how to manage servers so that it stays up all the time and does all those things so that you can just do the work that you want to do. And there's so many different things you can do with it. In fact, we were reading the other day, Linode is used by the developers at a lot of like really big companies that wind up using sort of the big three for their more public serving, right? Because they've got to, you know, please all the suits and everything. Well, when you're doing your own thing, you can be just like the developers at those big companies and you don't have to wear the suits, right? Because that's not your thing. You can just use Linode just like they do and get your stuff done. It's totally scalable. They make it super easy. And in fact, to make it even easier, you can get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit just because you're a listener of Mac Geek Up. You have 60 days to use that 100 bucks. You go to Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash M-G-G. Find all the details there. But it is fantastic. Check out their 24-7, 365 human-based customer support. Good stuff. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Again, visit linode.com slash MGG and click on the create free account button to get started. Our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, uh, you know, it's time to talk SSDs here, my friend, because we've got some questions about them. And Brett writes, since Apple is sticking with the M1 for a bit, I bit the bullet and bought an M1 mini Uh I'm currently transitioning from a 2020 Mac Pro with four internal drives, two SSDs, and two hard drives. What is a good, preferably four-bay enclosure, non-rated, to hook these drives up to the Mini without using all my ports? Excellent question. Uh, So that Mini has... Uh, you're going to probably want to use Thunderbolt for this. So the Mini's got two Thunderbolt ports. But the good news is the Mini requires you to run Big Sur 
And Big Sur uh, includes the the software that enables Thunderbolt hubbing. So you can add a Thunderbolt hub to Big Sur-based M1 Max if you want. And I highly recommend it if you need the ports. Um, <clears throat> OWC's JBOD enclosures with these, for me, would be the way to go. Um, they have a bunch of them. We'll link to the page that sort of, you know, talks about all of them. Um, I would the so every one of them will mention soft raid. Don't be thrown off by that if you don't want raid. They are all JBOD enclosures here, especially the ones that we're going to mention here. Um, and so I, I would I would go for either the Thunder Bay or the Mercury Elite Pro uh, because those are those are going to be your four bay enclosures. But they are JBOD, and by JBOD I mean just a bunch of disks. So you connect it to your Mac, and your Mac, if you put if you've got a four bay one with four disks in it, your Mac will see four separate disks when you run disk utility, and you can just mount them as four separate disks. That's totally fine. Or you can use a piece of software like SoftRaid or even Apple's built-in RAID software to RAID those together in software and uh, and you know and then have that appear as a single volume. But if you don't want it to appear as a single volume, that's totally fine. Everything's good to go there. So uh, we'll put a link to to this page at um, at at uh, at OWC. But that's that's how I would that's how I would do it. If you've got if you're coming from a Mac Pro where you've got you know all those in all those drives internal, and you kind of want to replicate that without driving yourself too crazy. That's what those enclosures are for, uh, or that's one of the things those enclosures are for. So that's that's where I would go with it. So thoughts on that, Mister Braun? Um, OWC is <clears throat> where I would go. Yeah, cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, they they make it easy. They, they I mean, technically, you could use any JBot enclosure. Uh, and, and, you know, probably be fine. But those are the ones that those are the ones that we've tested. And we say it all the time in the ads. They sponsor us because we we are big fans of theirs, not the other way around. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, when we say that they're the first place we would go, we mean it. So cool. You want to bring us to Santiago, John? Yes. All right. Okay, Santiago has a follow-up for us. Okay. Yeah. Evernote. Oh man, I gotta put that old version on here. Okay. You want me to you want me to read it for you? And then you can kind of discuss it. Well, let me um So Santiago uh says uh he had a it, so we talked in, in a recent show about Kurt having a 2017 iMac 27 inch whose SSD was detected as failed when he upgraded to Big Sur. And Santiago says, um, mine did the same thing. And so I decided to make a clean install. I purchased drive DX and it confirmed the failure and added as failing. Also the internal hard drive. I finally went with the Thunderbolt external SSD with a Samsung T5 which has created some problems itself, not the SSD, but the iMac. I suspect that's another story. The external is also uh, 
the the external is also external, but a, a WD two terabyte USB three. Okay, he said. So I thought I'd let you guys know that the listener you helped in episode eight sixty six is not alone out there. I also have the issues of the iMac going funny every time Apple sends an update. Fascinating. In special Safari updates, he says uh, this may be a potential issue there also, but I'm not geeky enough to even start down that road. All the best and thanks again. Yeah, you bet, Santiago. So my thoughts on this are SMC reset would be the first thing I would do on either of these machines. If they're reporting all kinds of drive failures, but on top of that, man, I don't like it, it, they're beyond Apple care, most likely. Uh, but that's that's a weird thing. Interesting. I don't know. What do you like? Yeah. What do you make of this? Um, just getting this data point, it sounds like there was a flaky batch of SSDs. But but mm-hmm. his his machine is reporting issues with external SSDs too. Like that's mm. yeah. I mean, it could be coincidentally that he does have issues with external SSDs, or it could be that there's something wonky here. Yeah, I'd start with a um. I'd start with a an SMC reset and uh, and see where they you know see where that goes. So, hey, you had um you had some issues, John, <clears throat> both with your iMac not shutting down and then a Safari thing, right? Yeah. So um, so I uh, I wanted to set up my Mac to restart on a schedule and you can do that in energy saver you sure. energy system preferences energy saver and then schedule and so i set you know it to do a restart saturday i think at 2 a.m when you know nothing else is sure. going on and um and when i came to the computer the next day you know hit the hit the return key to wake it up from sleep because this machine is usually sleeping and nothing happened and i looked and the power light was off so it didn't restart. It shut down. So it did something, but it just didn't make it all the way back around. Yeah. Now, the way the way that I was able to fix it was a little different. So, yeah, I thought the same as you, SMC reset, which on this machine is you unplug it for, I think, 30 seconds. Sure. Plug in the power. So that clears the SMC. That didn't fix it. But did fix it was doing a PRAM reset, which is command option PR. So there must have been some wacky setting, energy-related setting in the PRAM. So interesting, and that and that's yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it doesn't make sense, but like we've said for years, if it looks like hardware, it might not be hardware. It might be the SMC. So yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um. So that happened, and then here was another thing that uh, I cleaned my system up, and and it was good. Um. So Dave, it, it, so every now and then, you know, they come out with a new version of Memo Live. And so uh, you keep, you know, and you're like, well, go go to their web page and download it. And I'm like, okay. So I go to their web page and it doesn't show the version that you told me is there. And I'm like, uh, well, that's really weird. You know, reload the page. No, it, it's just not there. Uh, your suggestion, which was kind of interesting, Dave, and it worked, was to do a private browsing. I don't know why it would work doing private browsing if and not in regular browsing, but that solved the problem. But I, you know, it's a pain in the neck. Right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it shouldn't yeah, yeah. do that. Um, then I thought back, you know what? I ha- I don't think I've cleaned things up with Onyx for a while. 
Uh-huh. And I didn't even have Onyx on on here. On um, I had the older version, but not the big Sur version. So downloaded that. They have a um, maintenance category, and uh, among other things, I think there was one. It was like internet cache or browser cache or something in one of the settings. Okay, and so right. I basically cleaned up all the caches. You know, sure. I checked almost everything there that made sense, and lo and behold, that fixed it. So. Okay, so I have a theory here, John. Um, The reason I told you to use private browsing mode, it probably explains why cleaning your caches worked. Um, Websites can tell your browser, can and should, in fact, tell your browser how long a given resource is valid. And that way you, you can cache that resource and it could be a picture it could be text it could be you know if they've got uh, some javascript or, or whatever that's loading something like lazily after the fact it could be whatever that resource is but it's up to the web server to say okay here's this resource or when you request it um it says you can just request the headers your browser can just request the headers and ask like, what's the most recent version of this? And the browser will say, here's the, th- this is the date stamp of the most recent version. And you say, great, I got it since then. I'm good to go. I don't need the newer version. We've just made this transaction a whole lot faster and a whole lot more bandwidth efficient. My guess, I have not looked at this with that particular website at, you know, of the list of updates from Boinks, but my guess is that that page is delivering a header that says it is much older than it actually is. And that's why your, your browser isn't doing it. Now, when you go into private browsing mode, all of that goes out the window. Your caches are irrelevant. Your cookies are irrelevant. Like all the logins that you might have, all of that is set aside. And it's just like, okay, this is a fresh browsing window. Good to go. And that's why that worked. That's also why cleaning your caches would have worked. So yeah. Interesting, man. I like it. I like it. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. So, so the people at Boinks should be managing their website better. And given the crash that we just saw uh, 10 minutes ago here in the show, they should be managing their software better too. But, you know, that's just my opinion, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, While we're on the subject of browsers, Jed has a question. He says, uh, for work, they're asking me to VPN in and then use remote desktop. Uh, They very nicely reminded me that I'll be surfing the web on their servers and that is not private, meaning they can see what he's doing. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I can't really connect and disconnect throughout the day, I don't think. So is there any way to set one browser to use the VPN and one browser not to? So it depends on. The answer depends on which VPN you're using. Some VPNs will let you do what they call split tunneling. Um, ExpressVPN, which sponsored us for a long time. They're not currently sponsored, but um, they they offer this kind of thing where you can set, okay, this app uses the VPN. This app does not. And really granularly decide how, you know, where your privacy is. Uh, and and where your tunnel works, whether whether you consider it privacy or security, you know, sort of depends on your use case. Um, however, um, the Opera had the the Opera browser uh, 
says that it is a browser with its own VPN built in. And that might give you exactly what you want, because it, if you go to, um, it, you know, you connect to your work VPN, which let's assume is going to connect the the whole of your um you know, the whole of your computer to the VPN. Let's just assume that, right? Then uh, if you launch the Opera browser and use their free VPN, which you have to turn it on, but once you do that, it would be connecting via your existing VPN to the Opera VPN, and then everything that Opera does would happen via the Opera. So you'd essentially have two layers of tunnel, which is totally fine uh, tech, from a technical standpoint, whether it's, it violates somebody's terms of service or not, I have no idea. But from a technical standpoint, totally fine. You just VPN through a VPN, no problem. It might be a little slower, less efficient, but uh, but it would work. Now, the way I would check for this is I would visit whatismyip.com and see if it reports different IP addresses in different browsers or in Opera, if it reports a different IP when you surf via with the VPN on versus with the, you know, with the Opera VPN off. So that's how I would handle that. I don't know. What do you think, John? You got any, any thoughts on, on that? Um, how about setting up a proxy server? <clears throat> okay. Setting up. And then setting up another browser, and I looked, and like Firefox, for example, um, uh, has proxy settings within it, uh, general network settings. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so you could point another browser at a machine set up as a proxy server? Oh, like <laughs> another machine on your local network set up as a proxy server. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, off the top of your head, and I'm put I'm putting you on the spot here. I realize, but would, do you know of any like apps that cause another Mac to act as a proxy server? Um, from what I can see here, I think you can do that from Apple. Uh, really? So I'm going to Ethernet Advanced Proxies, yes. and you can set up various proxies. Right, but that's that's the same thing you're talking about, except system wide, right? Like that's mm -hmm. that's your proxy for your like like to point to a proxy. That's not to cause your Mac to be a proxy server, right? That's um, that's to that's to point at a an existing proxy server elsewhere. I don't think this turns your Mac into a proxy server. Uh, you just, okay? No, no, I think you're right. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I was looking. Uh, Kiwi Graham in the chat room says uh, at com. he says, yes, I've configured a proxy app on the Mac, but I can't remember the name. So it looks like there is or was an app called Mac Proxy. Uh, and Brian Monroe just sent us a link to howchew.com titled from November. So uh, very recent. How to set up a proxy server on your Mac using Squidman. So there you go. That's perfect. Because I think there we you're go. right. Squidman. I think you're right. Yeah. I like it. Yes. Because, I yeah, that would make sense. Because the idea, just for folks that, that didn't see the logic the first time, the idea is your Mac is set when it goes out to the Internet to go via a 
you know, the, the office's uh, VPN. But usually the way VPNs work is they don't redirect local traffic so that if you're trying to print to your local printer, it's not trying to do that over the VPN because that would fail. So if you point a browser and you would have to do this, Firefox was a great example because Firefox allows you to set a separate proxy for just that browser. And so uh, you would tell Firefox to point to Squidman running on another Mac on your local network. And so that traffic wouldn't be theoretically wouldn't be impacted by the, by the VPN. And so, yes, you could do it that way too. I like that. Yeah, that's good, man. Fun. This is, I love this. I love, I love learning stuff like this. All right. Are we good on this? It's time to take us to Jose. And, and most uh, importantly, do you have Jose? Yes. Excellent. All right. So, uh, Jose asks, uh, where can one find recently deleted photos from a shared photo album? Uh, and what I found is an article that says titled how to restore deleted shared photo album in photos. And I'm like, fantastic. Uh, it's by our uh, friend, uh, Glenn Fleischman. I think it was 2018. It was. And, uh, here's the bad news. You can't. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Oh, that's not good. Why? What? Wait, what? Um, it, it shared albums, according to him, uh, are not recoverable. And they kind of tell you this if you if you try to delete a shared album. The thing is, the media is not deleted. So the thing is, deleting a shared album doesn't delete the photos itself. Sure. At least that's what the article says. And then he offers a few tips on how to get around this. So. Cool. So that's what I got. Okay. So your photos are not gone and, you know, always make a backup. <laughs> always. Yeah. 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 Now I think also I, if you're using iCloud photo library, I think it won't immediately delete photos. If you do delete them, I, that's correct. True? You get 30 days. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I right. don't, I don't know. Like if you delete an entire album, well, no, this is deleting photos that are in a shared album. I, I think they would still be in your trash can as opposed to, say, the trash can of the one user who created mm -hmm. the album. It would be worth I, like this would be a thing worth testing just to make sure that it's you know going to going to do what we want. I, I, I can test this. I will test this, but I have not yet tested this. Um so I will. Yeah, that's interesting, though, because that it should work, because once you logically thinking through the way Apple does it with a shared photo album, once you join a shared photo album, those photos are in your library and your Mac, if set to, uh, you know, keep originals on this Mac, it will have originals of those photos. And if you and I, for example, John, if we shared a photos library, we, we would if we, sorry, if we shared a photo album, not a photos library, if we shared a photo album, we would each have copies of those pictures. So I would think that if, you know, you deleted it, it would delete it from the shared album, but we would both have copies in our trash. So that, that would be, that would be the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, cool. Um, circling back to the setting up a proxy on your local network, Brian Monroe accurately points out i'm sure there is a proxy app for synology uh if you happen to have one of those on your local network so maybe that mm. helps jed out right yeah great thinking brian good stuff 
If you want to join, I know I've said it a couple times, live.macgeekup.com. That is where we, uh, that's where you can listen, watch, and participate in the chat when we record the show each week. We usually do it on Sunday mornings, but, uh, but you know, it sometimes moves around. You can join the calendar at macgeekup.com slash calendar to find out where and when that's happening. Well, it's always where is the same place. It's live.macgeekup.com. But when... That's the important one right there. And MacGeekGab.com slash calendar will let you subscribe to it. That is literally the same calendar John and I use to schedule our attend, uh, attendance at the shows. So you know that you're going to have it right. So thanks, folks. Uh, all right. Uh, let's go to Andy. Andy, sort of a follow-up question. He says, um, I never used a clipboard manager until I started listening to your show. Initially, when I heard Dave talking about how he couldn't live without it, I thought, no, I've managed thus far. That's an app I don't need. Well, it turns out I, too, can't live without a clipboard manager. Yeah, man, this is one of those things. Once you start using it, you wonder how you lived without it. Uh, he says, so I purchased the app called Paste and have been subconsciously using it fully. For the last couple of years. Excellent. Yeah. Once your fingers learn what to do, you don't even think about it uh, until you don't have it. And then it feels like you just missed out. He says, however, uh, I got a new blazing fast M1 MacBook Air and decided to manually migrate over everything that I need. However, when I re-downloaded paste from the Mac App Store, which I had previously purchased, it no longer works without a subscription. So I assume their new model is software as a service, which I don't want for this particular app. So I wanted to ask you what alternatives there are. I don't necessarily need a free app. I don't mind paying a one-off fee, but I don't want to pay a subscription for this. So I have some thoughts about the whole subscription thing. I actually kind of like subscriptions for apps because it sort of encourages developers to push features out regularly. But for a simple one-off, like single-purpose app like this, I can see the hesitance, right? Like what feature would they add that would matter? I get you, Andy. So, um, and I'm also really stoked that, that you know, somebody else out there uh, is reaping the benefits of a clipboard manager. The one I use is in Keyboard Maestro. But that's only because I use Keyboard Maestro for other things. We talk about all those things on the show all the time here. Um, I say that because it's possible you already have a clipboard manager in another app that you're using for other things. Um, if not, then I think that, you know, there's a couple out there. There's Copy M, which used to be called Copy M Paste from uh, AppRiware. And of course, we'll put uh, links in the show notes for all of these. But uh, Copium is the sort of the one that that comes up, I would say, most frequently whenever we talk about clipboard managers. Copy Clip is another one uh, that that has come up occasionally. We will put that in the show notes, too. And then Pastebot from uh, from the Tapbox folks who make like Tweetbot and things like that. That's another one that comes up all the time. Uh, Launch Bar. And Alfred Power Pack both have them as baked into other things that they do. Again, to sort of, you know, paint that picture for you to think about maybe where else you could look on your Mac. Um, but uh, and, and then, like I said, Keyboard Maestro uh, has it baked into. But there's lots you have. You don't do you. I know we've talked about clipboard managers before, John. I think you said you have one on your computer. I'm not sure if you use it or not, but uh, but wasn't it in some mm -hmm. other app? <clears throat> Uh, it's in the uh, Golden Chaos. Um, That's it. Touch bar. 
Yes, right, right, right. Golden chaos. Yes, the better touch tool, uh, whatever that is, right? Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. All right. So I'll put that in the show notes too. So hopefully that gives you a lot. If you have an answer to that or a question or anything else for us, feedback at MacGeekGab.com is where you can send in all of those things. Right, John? Did you say feedback at MacGeekGab.com? I did. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's the address that you use to send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found, your comments, complaints, uh, cookie recipes. I don't know. Whatever you want to send us. We love hearing from you. Mm -hmm. That's good. We've gotten some cookie recipes over the years. You want to... uh, you want to take us to Vashon, John? Yes. Uh, Vashon says, guys, I have a new OWC Envoy FX that is 256 gigabytes. I need 99% of my drive for my native instruments, complete control libraries. In the get info, it reads 174.67 gigabytes, 5.32 gigabytes purgeable. My question is, can I get access to the five gigabytes that is purgeable? If so, how? Additionally, I want to know if my SSD is close to being filled. Will it still run as normal? Will it act like my Mac does when it's almost at capacity? Um, For question number one, uh, I wasn't able to verify this because I don't have this setting activated, but... I did find an article called Free Up Purgeable Storage Space on your Mac. So, check that out. Okay. And they, they go into, uh, they, they recommend a number of strategies. Um, two things, though. Um, purgeable space, from what I understand, will get cleared out when it's needed. Mm. <clears throat> So I don't think you have to do anything, but I, I think I see where you're going with this. You just want to see that <laughs> it's freed up. Um, and all I can say is that they do have um, in the article uh, a command you can run from the terminal that will basically create a big, huge blob of a certain size on that drive. And that will convince it to free it up. Or at least I thought that was the best solution. Isn't Is this talking about... Oh yeah, no, that's storage space. Okay, all right, yeah, it, it's int- yeah. Okay, never mind. I, I've been down this path with freeing up RAM before, and have seen apps that do that same kind of thing by blobbing up, you know, uh, uh, grabbing a huge chunk of memory to force it to mm-hmm. jettison everything else, and then saying, okay, like, you know, free it up. Here you go, it's all yours. So it makes sense that the same concept would work with um with this. Yeah, interesting. Interesting, interesting. Purgeable. Yeah, I haven't ever seen that on mine. I admittedly I don't spend a lot of time in the storage view there, but that's mm-hmm. purgeable. Interesting. All right, cool. Fun. Fun, fun. Uh we have some cool stuff found to talk about and some time to do so. So we are going to do that. Uh we might even get to some other questions and tips as well. The next thing that I want to do, John, is I want to talk about our next couple of sponsors here if we're good on everything else here. Yeah. We're good. All right. Our sponsor, Skosh. 
has been around for a very long time. I know they're relatively new to sponsoring us here at Mac Geek Gab, but they are certainly not new to us here at Mac Geek Gab. We've been using and talking about Scotia's accessories for a long time. In fact, they've been doing this since 1980. That's crazy. Look, our new iPhones don't come with chargers, but we don't have to worry because Skosh offers a variety of fast, safe, and reliable options to select from because Skosh manufactures everything from wireless fast chargers to power volt power delivery car and wall chargers that charge your new iPhone up to four times faster than the standard charger. And you can visit Skosh.com. That's S-C-O-S-C-H-E. And use the discount code MGG20, so MGG20. That's good for 20% off your purchase valid from today when this episode comes out, April 26th through May 9th. So you got to get right on that. And then beginning May 1st, so a week from today, or a week from uh, two days ago, Saturday, you can join the Skosh loyalty program for extra savings and deals. Again, check it out, Skosh. S-C-O-S-C-H-E dot com. And our thanks to Skosh for sponsoring this episode. Hey, are you carrying a credit card balance month after month? If so, you know, you're not the only one. It happens. High interest rates make it really hard to pay off your debt. But the good news is our sponsor, Upstart, can help. And you can join the thousands of happy borrowers who have made that final payment. Because Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. So whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, or just making room for that purchase that you want to, maybe you want to get the new, uh, you know, one of those new iMacs or a new iPad Pro and you need to free up some cash and get that done. Well, Upstart can help you head down that path. And unlike other lenders, this is the this is the key here. Upstart looks at more than just your credit score. They look at your income and employment history, and that means they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. And there's a 5-minute online rate check that you can see and they don't pull a hard pull on your credit, just a soft pull. So it does not affect your credit rating when you do the online rate check. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash MGG. That's upstart.com slash MGG. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, your income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. So go to upstart.com slash MGG and our thanks to Upstart for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, it's cool stuff found time. You want to take us to Rico? Cool. All right. Rico says in episode 865, you mentioned Mate Translate as an alternative to Google Translate. There's another one that there's another one that I've been using that makes me look like a native speaker, deepl.com. When I used Google Translate, people knew that it was machine translated, not with people. How good is it? Well, it can translate not only the words, but you can tweak a translated word and Deepl will change the rest. Also, it has a macOS app and a subscription version that lets you translate more words at a time. It, this okay. is a cool thing, John. He sent us a video of exactly that, where the, the, an example of what he described, where you change one word or you change a phrase, and it, it you know, it sort of cascades through the document. It, amazing. I, 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 you know, I, I can't. I don't speak a, a second language well enough to, to, you know, to tell you whether or not. Maybe I should take a a Spanish phrase and translate it to English. 
and then change a word and, and watch that, right? That would be a good way to test this. But, uh, mm-hmm. but from what he showed us, that looked pretty amazing. So yeah, it's pretty good. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, Donna brings us a, uh, a cool stuff found last episode. We were talking about cleaning the lint out of your iPhone's lightning port. And she recommends the uh, gum soft dental picks. A hundred count, I think, is four dollars and thirty two cents. She says, I've been using them for many years and never had a problem. Obviously, they're very inexpensive and one pack should last a a family for many, many years. Yeah, I agree, Donna. That's pretty good. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then uh, along the same lines, Ben shares something that's a little more purpose built. Uh, he says it's called PurePort. <clears throat> they had a successful Kickstarter back in 2019, and it's now available for 30 bucks. And it is a uh, sort of universal port cleaning extravaganza maintenance tool, if you will. It's got all kinds of different brushes and little like suctions and things like that. So you you kind of use the the each of them to clean through it. It looks actually, it looks really cool. looks like the kind of thing that would be good to put in your, you know, in your travel bag and just have around, uh, to, you know, yank out all that lint and gook that's in your, um, that's in your thing. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for that, Ben. Good stuff. All right. Uh, who's next, John Lauren. Um, yes. All right. So Lauren says, I want a purple one. <laughs> we were expecting new Same. iPads and maybe new iMacs. We got M1 everywhere. I'm convinced this is the semiconductor shortage in action. Apple is said to have bought a ton of these M1 chips or made them themselves. I don't know if they have fab. Do they? Hmm. Anyways, um, so they're putting them in everything. The M1's I.O. and storage limitations feel restrictive on everything except the MacBook Air, and I guess the iPad Pro, but nonetheless, we have the very cheapest MacBook Pro. Mac Mini and iMac wildly outperforming everything previously sold. If we're in the middle of a semiconductor shortage, this isn't such a bad place to be. I agree. They say the Touch ID keyboard will work with any M1 Mac, but they'll only be sold with the iMac for now. Um, So that answers hmm. your question from the last episode. Would the... Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right. They said the Apple card will combine credit scores, rounding up to the better one for a family plan that will allow kids to start building their credit. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Uh, no, that that um, keyboard thing, John, that's that's huge because you had asked that in the last episode, whether mm-hmm. that touch ID keyboard would be usable on uh, on other Macs. And so it's only other M1 Macs. It's not mm-hmm. uh, right. It's not other, um, uh, you know, it's not secure enclave Macs. It is other M1 Macs. But still, mm-hmm. that's that's exciting. I kind of like it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. And um, and what else? And yeah, yeah. yeah I think the, that's about the it. colors. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Speaking of credit cards. Yes, John. So uh, the walks that I've been taking every day, Dave, have been uh, uh, are becoming potentially very profitable. So <laughs> I think I told you a while ago. I found I found an iPhone eight um, Pro, uh, the bigger one. Uh, just on the trail that I walk on. And I'm like, oh, okay. But I found the owner. Um, 
yesterday I found an American Express Gold card. Wow. So did you get yourself a, a new M1 Mac Mini with the uh, MX Gold card? <sighs> I was thinking about it, but, you know, credit card fraud. Is, yeah, it's uh, probably not a good path to head down. Yeah, I mean, you know, you no, don't want to no, get I, caught. And the one of the best ways to not get mm -hmm. caught, obviously, is to just not do the thing. And so credit card fraud, that's a pretty easy one to get caught doing. So, yeah, I, I think you made a yeah. good decision. I, I just called them and said, yeah, I found this card. You should probably deactivate it and send them another one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, that was nice of you. Yeah, you're you're having uh, profitable walks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of somebody, a friend of mine. I probably shouldn't tell this story. Well, I won't include the names, but I think this person, it was somebody I knew during the BBS days, and I think this person went on to work for, for Apple for a while. Actually had some, like, like, credits even in i think the finder for some years and that still wouldn't be enough for you to, anybody to to narrow it down but um when he was a kid uh he, you know and his parents didn't have very much money and so you know he had a computer but he wanted an apple 2gs but there was no way and uh he was running and he ran by was, i forget what city he was in and i won't i wouldn't tell you if i if i remembered but it was you know a, a, it was a city and he ran by a spot where like a drug dealer or something would leave cash for drops. And he picked up mm -hmm. a, a bag to throw it away. Like he didn't know what he had picked up. And there was like 10 grand in, uh, in the bag. Yeah. And so by the time he like got home to throw it away and realized what he had done, he was like, Oh my gosh, like, like this could, I could get killed for this, but nobody figured out it was him. And, um, thankfully, and uh, he well, he did. He wound up buying his Apple II GS and wound up doing some fantastic development on it that I believe we all benefited from this. So, uh, so yeah, it was interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why that story came to mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Moving on. Hey, uh, I have a cool stuff found to revisit, John. And I know it's not a it's not one that that's been that old it's the nomad base station pro which is essentially you know the only live in the wild version of something approximating what apple announced as air power low those many years ago and the idea is it's just this pad that you can toss your chi devices on and it will start charging them i think it's got like 18 different coils in it and it's organized them into three different zones so you can have three different things charging at the same time uh, and it will, you know, focus on the one and, 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 you know, and do it. And I, I like, it was great to see it, but then I was like, where am I going to put this thing? And so it's sort of, after we talked about it on the show, it sort of sat for a while because it putting it next to my bed just for me didn't, didn't work. You know, I didn't need it for, because, because of the way my use case is and all that, John. And, uh, I finally realized the place that I want it is here in the studio and man, it's amazing because I come in here to do the show and I toss my phone down. I usually toss it down like on the table behind me so that I don't see it and it doesn't distract me while we're doing the show. Or if I go and sit at my drums, which are, you know, kind of right next to me here as I do the show, uh, I don't want my phone in my pocket, you know, for obvious reasons. And so uh, so I just have this thing on the table that's sort of between my desk here and the and the drums and I just toss it down on there and it charges 
and it's fantastic. And even with my grip to you case on the phone, which insulates the back and won't let it like stay charged. It's sort of a problem with Chi, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, for an hour or two here and there while I'm either, you know, doing the show or playing my drums or messing around in the studio, it's perfect. So and the the nicest part is I don't have to worry about like perfectly lining it up onto a Chi coil. I literally just toss it down on there. And it negotiates and syncs it up. So now that I've found a use case for it, I, I've, I've been really excited about this thing again. So I just wanted to kind of revisit it because it's exciting. All right. Um, Andrew finds an interesting, fun, little, cool stuff found. Uh, he says, I recently purchased two HomePod minis and paired them together to get stereo sound. Um I said to the HomePod Mini, hey, S-Lady, calibrate. It paused music, and then it seemed to come back. Is this an actual way to calibrate the HomePod Mini? I know you can shake them if you reposition them in the room. Uh, and he says, it might be my imagination that I am able to calibrate it just by asking Siri to do it. You are absolutely right. You can say, you know, hey, S-Lady, calibrate, or hey, S-Lady, recalibrate. And the same thing happens. It triggers that that, uh, you know, audio retuning, if you will, uh, right there inside uh, inside the HomePod or HomePod mini. So, yes, you are absolutely right that it can it can do it on its own uh, by simply asking. So, yeah, nice little find, man. Pretty good, huh, John? Did you get did you order HomePod yeah. minis yet? I know you <laughs> talked about no. potentially getting some. OK, yeah, I, I'm I'd be curious what you think. of. Yeah, those maybe things. I will. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, um, the yeah. other device has something similar that I've used once. Um, uh, if you run the Alexa app. Yeah. The <laughs> A app. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. Um, settings. A leading devices. There's an option called waste training. Okay. So we're talking about th th that is. Valid. This is something. This is something different. Diff I just thought I'd mention it's it. It's the other way around. That's correct. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So this makes it so that it understands you better. Though I find it's it's very good with me. I think I trained it once when I first got it, got it, and maybe that's enough. Yeah. It. It. I think most of these voice devices and i would given that you know amazon has probably the most popular voice assistant or at least voice assistant in the home uh i would assume they do this too but i think they all sort of re or are, are continually refining their training as as things move forward like as you say things to it i think it's it's it, if the response you you get is something that, you know, sometimes it'll ask, was this helpful? Yes. And, you know, if you say yes or no, it, it sort of tweaks its training. So I think it's I think it's doing that all the time. I think. I don't know. All right. Um, Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I actually worked on long ago a project that used speech recognition to allow people with disabilities to operate certain equipment that we sold. And um, the nice thing about that is that, and, and what we chose what's known as a speaker dependent system. Okay. Which right. you have to train by definition, but the reason that this was a benefit, especially to people that may um, speak 
differently or have an accent yep. um, was another thing is that uh, speaker independent is, you know, they've made, you know, whatever engine these guys are using, uh, sure. they've made advances, but training always helps. So that was just something I learned. Yeah. Yeah. They did this sort of stuff. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense. Cool. Uh, all right. Do you have, uh, I think there's another cool stuff found right from Mark on the list here. Mark. Yes. Um, so Mark says, I don't have a spam workflow. However, many years ago I did hear of a spam service called sneak. Is it sneak? I'm sorry. I think it's sneak email, sneak email. Yeah. Okay. All right. Is it sneak email or sneak email? Okay. Um, it's a service that costs about 12 or 15 bucks a year. What it offers is a general generation of random email addresses to give to external websites. For example, I have a sneakemail.com email from, for Amazon and all sorts of other websites. I do not give out my actual email. Uh, that's only for friends and relatives. Uh, and if the website sells your email to a spammer, then you know who did it. And you can either bounce or delete the uh, sneak email email address that the entity loses the path to connect to you. Anyways, I've used it and it seems to work pretty well. Also has a traffic site where you can tell what most of your random email addresses is coming from. Uh, it's pretty cool. So. Huh. I like it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Now, wait, you you do something with Gmail that's kind of like this. I do. Yeah. So it, with Gmail, with any address uh, that Google manages, so either a Gmail address or if you have your domain hosted for email with Google apps for domains, this works. So, you know, for example, we, we have feedback at MacGeekGab.com as, as you might've mentioned, or as we might've mentioned earlier in the show, um, that address because it uh, is that one hosted with Google? No, it's not anymore because we host that with MailRoot, right? I forget. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's, let's say we host it with Google. But if you try this and it bounces, then the MailRoot thing gets in the way. But I, I'm not sure it would. Uh, anyway, so let's say for the sake of argument, feedback at MacGeekUp.com is a, a Google, fully Google hosted address and there's nothing else in the way. If you did feedback plus Dave at MacGeekGab.com, that would st that's still a valid address. So if I wanted to order something from Amazon, I could do feedback plus Amazon at MacGeekGab.com, and that email would still come in to me without creating anything new on the Google end. It just knows plus whatever. It ignores it and just funnels it into the email address. Now, you can create filters at Google that don't ignore it and do things with that data, including immediately sending it to spam and marking it as spam. So if, if you know, like like Mark described, you have an address that gets, you know, put on spam list. You just say, OK, everything that comes into that, that's spam and done. You're good to go. So, um, yeah, it it and and your Gmail account, you know, it, it we don't. But if we had like MacGeekGab at gmail.com, I don't think we do anyway. Uh, and we did MacGeekGab plus Amazon at gmail.com or, you know, your address plus Amazon at gmail.com. That would accomplish something very similar to what sneak email is doing here. So, yeah, you're absolutely right, John. Yep. Cool. But the problem is, as Kiwi Graham points out, that because Google does this and other mail hosts do it, too, spammers are aware of it. So it's easy enough for a spammer to say, okay, if it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com, feedback plus Amazon, pull the plus Amazon out and 
we know your email address. So it doesn't quite work the way you might want it to anymore. Um, yeah. But I think Startmail, which was a sponsor up until recently of this show, I think one of their features, John, was that you could do exactly that, uh, where you had the ability to uh, create you know, randomized email addresses for you for exactly this purpose. So yeah, that's another one. We'll put, we'll put links to to that in the show notes. Yeah, it's a good one. All right. Um, and uh, better, better yet. Um, I, I recall this and I'm going to link to the article, but uh, uh, iCloud lets you create aliases. So that's also kind of the same thing. It obscures your primary address. That's true. Yeah, those are a little more uh, cumbersome to create, I think, right? Because you've actually got to go through the process. But yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. Interesting. Um, And Dave Ginsburg in the chat is saying that you cannot create a new account on sneak email currently. So you might have to use one of these other methods that we have described. We will stay tuned. We, we will find out more. Visit MacGeekGab.com. Uh, John, I needed to run Java on my, uh, on my M1 Mac down in the office. There was a, uh, I don't know. It was like a Dogecoin client or something that, that used Java. And so I was like, oh, I haven't installed Java on this. I need to. And then I stopped and paused and I thought, wait a minute, is there a native for M1 Java build out there? And sure enough, there is. In fact, there are two companies working on it, and I believe they're working collaboratively on it, but you can sort of download builds from each of them. One is called Azul, A-Z-U-L dot com, and another is called Microsoft. Uh, theirs are hosted at GitHub, <laughs> but it is Microsoft and Azul working together uh, building Java for M1. And the great part about it is that it works like they have Java versions, I think, Java 11 is considered the current, like, stable, you know, version, whatever it is. But they've got them all the way up to, I think, 16 or 17. Um, but uh, but I think I think long term, Java uses, like, MTS and LTS to describe the stability of releases and long-term stable and midterm stable and things like that. But they have LTS releases for, like, 6, 7, 8, and 11 uh, so I installed Java 11 on my, on my mini and the nice part is it's running native, which is awesome. So, um, I was pretty stoked to find that, you know, I don't think we don't think about Java a whole lot. So, yeah. Uh, cool. Cool. We have time for, uh, time for like one, maybe two more. You want to take us to able John? Okay, I'll try. Uh, hi, guys. I'm writing you today to see if either of you have heard of battery draining on Apple Watch after the latest update. I have attached images of screenshots I believe will be useful. My watch was updated last night to the latest version. Any advice would be helpful. Um, uh, all I can say, Dave, even though I don't have an Apple Watch, yeah. uh, I think I can make a generalization. I haven't heard anything specific, if, if anybody has. Yeah. Feedback. At MackieCap.com. <laughs> um, but I think in general, Dave, after any sort of uh, software update, be it iOS or Mac OS, uh, it'll uh, often trigger a lot of rebuilding and re-indexing of stuff. So, and that takes, uh, 
that takes time and yep. energy. Yep. So. Right. Yeah. And the watch doesn't have a whole lot of uh, battery power in it. Uh, so, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I um, I, I've seen the watch specifically uh, do um, get stuck in contact syncing for me. And uh, and I've the way I've fixed that is to go on the watch in. I believe it's on the watch into settings general and then reset and uh, no, it's not there. It's on the iPhone. Sorry. So grabbing my iPhone from behind me because I don't have it in front of me all the time uh, is to launch the watch app. And then um, in the watch app, go to your watch, go to uh, reset at the bottom and choose uh, reset sync data. And that, so you do this from your iPhone, not from the watch, but you go to the watch app on the iPhone, general reset, and then reset sync data and reset. It says resetting sync data will erase all contacts and calendar data from your Apple watch before resyncing from your phone. And that will take some battery time because it's going to resync, but I've, it gets rid of that sync loop that I've seen plunge the battery before. So that. We can't say what Dable's issue is, but in general, if you're seeing that, I've I've found that one symptom is when text messages show up on your watch, you know, they come in as a phone number, not as the person's name. That can be an indication that things are, you know, a little bit wonky. Um, so, right. Yep. And I think this is the reason that when you try to do an iOS update, um, if your battery's too low, it'll be like, uh, you got to plug me in mm -hmm. or charge me up because... Right. There's going to be a lot of stuff happening and uh, you don't want the battery to die while that stuff is happening because that's bad. Makes sense. Or it makes could sense. be bad. Yeah. It could ruin everything. It could ruin everything. Yeah. I will, I will say, and I, you know, we're, we're almost out of time here for today, but um, iOS 14.5 and presumably watch OS, you know, updates are coming out this week. I have been running the iOS betas for since the first beta, which I believe was, last week of January. So this has been a very long beta cycle. I had that theater gig and knew that we would be wearing masks all the time uh, at this theater gig. And I decided to install iOS 14 and the watch OS beta on my devices so that I could take advantage of the unlock with Apple watch uh, functionality. And it, normally I do not put betas, especially not early betas on my daily driver. I will do it. Usually it would be about this point when it's gone gold master. That's when I put it on so that I can be ahead of it a little bit ahead of it for when your questions come in. But this one I've been running literally for months. I traveled with it um, for the most part. I, other than the watch unlock, I forget that I am running beta software. You know, it has been, you and I were having a conversation, so it's been super stable. And I just wanted to let everybody know that, you know, this this beta process has gone on a long time, likely delayed because of the partially because of the new hardware that Apple's got coming, possibly also delayed because of the this also brings all those security um, and privacy controls that Facebook has been fa fighting against. So I think there's a few reasons we could speculate as to why it's been such a long beta cycle, but it has been stable all the way through. No issues. You and I, John, were having a conversation about beta releases versus not beta um, I guess yesterday or something. Right. And I, I think, you know, the definition of beta has become varied and, and I think 
it's important to not take any one company's definition of beta versus release versus alpha uh, alpha being the version that would exist before beta. Uh, but I think it's, it's, it's good not to homogenize all those together into one sort of mm-hmm. thing. You know what I mean? Like, like Apple's betas generally are pretty stable. You know, the, the mm-hmm. super unstable ones are, are never released even to developers. Arguably the first beta of like, you know, 15 iOS 15.0 that we would presumably get in, you know, June or whatever after WWDC, uh, that is usually a little bit unstable. The new Mac OS like 0.0 unstable, but the 0.1.2.3 betas, you know, have been pretty stable. Google's stuff that's called beta has been super stable. Memo live, mm-hmm. which is, we use not beta versions of has been terribly unstable for us. Right. So, like each company, right. I think you kind of need to apply. I don't know. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting world. We oh, yeah. In. Yeah. And and my experience having worked in R&D is pretty much matches yours, is that betas from some people, especially if they're giving you a sneak peek and you have to sign an NDA and all that great stuff. Um, some companies, beta means it can destroy everything. Right. I've seen it happen. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It just depends on, on, yeah, on, you know, what they mean by what beta doesn't mean the same thing from everybody. I guess that's maybe a, a mm-hmm. you know, a nice, concise way to say yeah. it. Yeah. But, but yeah, I've been super happy with the betas and now I'm running whatever they called the golden master on my, on my iPhone and on my watch. And it's been, again, it's been fine. The, the only battery issue I've had was tile, which we talked about earlier in the show. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, man. All right. Well, I think it's time, Mr. Braun. Do you think it's time? The band thinks it's time. Time. Band's looking forward to being, uh, you know, all uh, vaccinated and safe to play together again. So there you go. Uh, yeah. We're actually playing a gig, John. Um, one band I play in is called Bitter Pill. It's this original band I play in. And a local brewery has created uh, a, a a beer in our name called Bitter Pills. Get it? Bitter Pills? So we're pl- Yeah, uh. exactly. So we're playing the uh, the launch party of Bitter Pills, which would be fun. So, yeah, it's good. It should be a fun summer. Uh, we told you how to get in touch with us. Thanks to everybody on our, on our premium program. You can all email premium at macgeekgab.com. That's uh, one of the perks that you get for being a part of our premium program. Premium is completely optional, as we always say. Uh, Really just listening to the show, sending in your questions and your tips and your cool stuff found, interacting, sharing the show. That's something everybody can do, and it costs you nothing. Uh, For those of you that can and want to support us directly, that's what premium is all about. And you can learn more about that at MacGeekab.com slash premium. John, I'm, I'm curious, with Apple offering subscriptions... What, if anything, that does for our premium program, right? Because we, you know, the way Apple subscriptions work is it's paywalled content. That's currently, that's it, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not like, like we couldn't, we could offer, you know, the ability to do that and then get access to the premium thing. But we have no idea who you are. 
if you sign up. We, we don't have anything in Apple's uh, uh, subscription, paid subscription offering yet. You know, it's just announced this week but um, or last week. But uh, when you sign up for Apple, just like when you buy an app from Apple, you are not the developer's customer. You're Apple's customer, right? Apple's the only one that knows who you are, how to get in touch with you. Uh, your information is not shared with developers or podcasters, only in aggregate. They say, here's your money from X number of people from, you know, these countries, essentially uh, using these devices, maybe. And then that's it. So, you know, offering a premium email address in that way. Like, I don't I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't offer something via Apple's subscription program because they make it easy. So many of you already have your credit cards on file with Apple, so they make that part easy. Mm-hmm. We, in general, you know, uh, presumably if we have our credit cards on file, we trust Apple with that information. And so there's a lot of friction that Apple removes, but it's a very specific program. It's essentially only for paywalled content. And John, we when we started the premium program, we did not we that's what we did we had paywalled content and all of you told us to stop that all of you premium people told us to stop that you wanted all that content available to everyone so i'm not sure how to do this um but you know we're we're thinking do you have any ideas john or anybody out there have any ideas i don't know it's interesting um i just wonder what the financial details are Oh, they've shared those. It's very, it's, um, it's like a subscription in the app store. So Apple keeps 30%. You can set your, you set your pricing. Um, I think 49 cents is the lowest tier that you can offer. Uh, but you set your pricing and your frequency. So you can have a weekly subscription, a monthly, a yearly, you know, whatever you want. You can set the price to be whatever you want. Um, and then like any other subscription, Apple keeps 30% of a given subscriber's revenue for the first year. And then after the first year, that same subscriber's revenue, Apple only keeps 15% of it. So they cut their cut in half. So we get 70, then 85. Um, Right now, just for uh, full transparency, the, the, the way credit card fees work with the amounts that we charge for premium subscriptions, which we sort of do all in house. We, we do it with WooCommerce, but it's, you know, essentially all us. Uh, we pay about 4% in uh, in fees. So Apple would definitely be, you know, taking a larger cut than we than, than we give up the other way. Uh, but, again, the convenience and all that stuff there. So uh, mm-hmm. it's called Apple Podcast Subscriptions is what they, they've named it. Because now if you are getting this show in and i'm using my words carefully if you're getting this show in apple podcasts you are following this show you are not subscribing to this show because following is the free version and subscribing is the pay version currently there is no pay version in apple so um yeah so i'm not sure what to uh i'm not sure what to do but if you folks have any ideas let us know feedback at macgeekup.com we'd love to hear from you uh because it, it's, you know, they feel like there's an opportunity for us all here to make life a little easier for you, make life a little easier for us. And, you know, as I say uh, you know, on my small business show podcast, if 
you if you want a customer to give you money, make it easy for them to do that, right? Like that's so don't or or at very least don't make it hard for them to do that. And I think we've all experienced those things where it's like I'm trying to pay you for this thing and you're making it difficult. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't happen. So. Anyway, um, Alex in the chat room is asking, but would you then no longer have a free version? Is that the drawback? No. Uh, we could have both. Apple, it, this is an additive thing. This is not a an exclusive thing. So we could offer some kind of paywalled content that you subscribe to and get via Apple. And then also, still via Apple, get this same episode, you know, this the, 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 what you're currently subscribed to. And in fact, if you have an, by episode number, it's interesting how they do this. But let's say this is 868. If we put a paid version of 868 in the Apple Store, then uh, people subscribed would get the paid version and people following would get the free version of 868. It's actually smart enough to sort of split that out. They say that you could do ad free versions as all of you. And I really I know this is a that's a bit of an overstatement. But as most of our premium subscribers pointed out to us when we were doing exactly that ad free versions uh, in uh, it paywalled, you know, with our paywalled content, as you all pointed out to us, the people that are paying subscription fees are also very likely to be the people paying our advertisers for products in which they're interested. So why in the world would you want to take the people that have proven they're paying you money uh, or willing to pay money and hide your advertisers from them? So we just try to pick good advertisers. So I'm not convinced that, that I like our advertisers. I really do. Like we, there are people we say no to here, uh, you know? And so I like, to me, any podcaster that offers an ad-free version of their show is saying, I don't like our advertisers. I see them as a nuisance, and I'm giving you the ability to avoid them. We put chapters in the show, so if you want to skip ads, you are more than welcome. That's how it's always been. But I don't think ad-free behind a paywall is a smart decision. That's just me. I think it's I think it's short-sighted. And I don't want to say it's not smart. I think it's short-sighted. Um, so there you go. So there you go. Uh, that's my feeling. All right. So I don't know. Do we have anything? Do you have any other thoughts on that, John? Any other questions? Nope. Okay. Well, now we can say, so the episode went a little long. We did 10 minutes on that. Um, thanks for listening. Seriously. Thanks for listening to that. Thanks for listening to the episode. Of course, we put that at, I didn't intend to do that, um, but it just came out. But we put that at the end. So there you go. Uh, you could have skipped it already. Maybe you're not even hearing this. We're talking to no one. It's possible. Mm. Uh, thanks for listening. Do you have any any place to send them, John? Um, dot There you go. That's the place. That's MacObserver.com. All right. <laughs> uh, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking out our sponsors, of course. As we mentioned in the show, Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com, Lino.com slash MGG. Use that uh, at Skosh.com, that MGG20, MGG20 coupon for sure. And then uh, check out Upstart.com slash MGG. They're doing cool stuff there. I like um, I like their model. It's good. Whew. We made it, John. Uh, is it up to me? To, to, to say something to him or is it up to you? 
I don't even remember. Mm. It could be up to me, Dave, to let to tell everyone, don't get caught. It's good advice. Made up.